0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Goliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. It is an honor and a privilege to talk to one of the world's biggest martyrs right now. Now, you remember last episode, I went on and on about Elizabeth, our 16-year-old Mormon friend who didn't want you. Uh, you know, being profane on the podcast. And first of all, we spent the last two days sifting through Elizabeth's fan mail. There's a lot of people out there who are (laughs) Team Elizabeth. But on top of that, Andrew, you know what we did see, though? What? We saw an awful lot of people come out on behalf of your freedom of speech The Team Sharp movement was rolling deep. They don't want you censored. They want you freewheeling and dealing your takes without thinking about the profanities. And they just wanted to let... I mean, some of them were telling me, frankly, they're going to quit listening to the pod if you are kind of held back in any way. Yeah. So here's my message to the Team Sharp people. And tell me if you agree with this. Um, We respect that absolutely 100%. If you really want to show your dedication to Andrew, I want you to go to our listing on Apple Podcasts, give us a (laughs) five-star review and write out Team Sharp. And we want to see how many of those people are out there who are really down to ride or die for you, Andrew. Uh, But could you believe it? I mean, Elizabeth... The anti-profanity team. She's the new LeVar Ball. She's the most polarizing takes uh, in sports media at this point. It's phenomenal.
0: No, it was great. I was touched by the number of people who wrote in to say that I should keep cursing. Uh, We have a clear path for me to turn the podcast into a two live crew album from here here on out. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, my favorite part about that whole thing was that, first of all, you hit me completely out of nowhere on that. And it it also came at a time when there was just like crazy NBA news hitting. So people probably tuned into (laughs) the podcast expecting to hear us talk about kid, hear us talk about Kawhi, and instead they got a... 10-minute rant on profanity and my personal growth. It was amazing.
1: My least favorite part of that, by the way, was that you were begging me to stop and, and I didn't listen. I couldn't tell. I was just <laughs> too into it, which is not great. Were so in. I were do apologize. In. It's all good. Hey, and... It happens. But uh, the other thing I'd say is it really is an honor to talk to you today, Andrew. I was all the way across town at this Jordan event. You know, all the movers and shakers were there. They're unveiling the all-star jersey. Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Kenny the Jet Smith, Spike Lee was there. Um, And, you know, after I was there for a few hours, I had to pull aside one of the organizers. And I was like, look, and I'm going to have to leave here pretty soon. Like, I got a big commitment tonight. And they're like, well, what are you doing? Uh, you know, we you, you do know that we have a private concert with Travis <laughs> Scott tonight on site here. And I was like, wow, that sounds incredible. But I have to go and do a podcast with my buddy, Andrew. And the people looked at me there like, I don't want to say I look like an alien. Uh, but it it wasn't the warmest reception. So I don't know if they're just not part of the open floor globe or if Travis Scott is that famous. But the big issue I had was <laughs> I don't know who Travis Scott is. Is that a problem? It's not a
0: problem, and I I, in, I appreciate you sharing that with the world because I don't really know who Travis Scott is either. But he's the type of dude I've I've seen like three or four Travis Scott concerts at sneaker events over the last two years. So I think he's generally famous. But he is also constantly at these random branded events, so I don't think you're missing that oh. much. But I think the point is that both of us are are old and not cool anymore. That's that's the lesson. So tonight.
1: it's kind of like he will rap for kicks, type of thing. Yeah, I, th-
0: I think so, I th- and honestly, I would too. So I don't I don't blame him. Um, but let's dig into it. We've got a lot of a lot of news this week. I don't know the, the NBA kind of picked this week to kick into high gear as far as rumors are concerned and I guess the biggest story is definitely what's going on with the Cavs we talked about it on Monday but it's gotten so much crazier since then so where are you at with the state of things in Cleveland you were sort of teasing a theory that you had you didn't really go into it with me but what, what are you what are you thinking as far as the Cavs are concerned
1: Well, I know we have a discerning audience out there, Open Floor Globe, because we always get the emails from people saying, hey, I listen to like 15 basketball podcasts. You guys are my favorite. So we're dealing with the diehards of the diehards. And I think they're going to be like me, Andrew. I think they are sick of hearing what trade can Cleveland make to get on Golden State's (laughs) level? Because I think you and I both know that trade's not out there. Real quick on that one. You could put together... So
0: we've gotten a lot of different Cavs trades but one thing that has popped up over and over again for the last 10 days. We've gotten like seven or eight people every every 2 days someone proposes Dwight Howard to the Cavs and <laughs> I just don't know what the thinking is. Like as dysfunctional as that locker room is now adding Dwight and I guess I think he's making like 45 million dollars over the next couple of years. Uh it just that's like the last thing in the world the Cavs need. But really, all of, the, all of the trade targets for them are so underwhelming. Like, George Hill, adding George Hill to that team three years ago would have been cool, but the current version of George Hill is not moving Andrew. the needle. I'm sorry.
1: Andrew, Andrew, slow down. You're falling into the same trap that I was just complaining about. Okay, this is what enough, I mean. Do, do Do we need to break down this George Hill idea constantly? Is he going to hang with 30 in the finals? Is George Hill going <laughs> to hang with your boy 30 no, in the NBA no. finals? And It feels okay. like everyone's
0: just going through the motions with all these ideas. <laughs>
1: A hundred percent. There's no question about it. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a thought experiment, okay? And I'm not a hot take guy. You wouldn't consider me a hot take guy, would you? No,
0: absolutely not.
1: Okay, this is a thought experiment. I'm not saying that this should happen. I'm not saying that this will happen. I'm not saying this is influenced at all by, you know, firsthand reporting. This is just a solo mission vision quest. Here, Here's what I want to do. I want to flip this upside down. Rather than us having this conversation about who needs to go to Cleveland to make them a contender, I want to have the conversation about who needs to leave Cleveland to create a contender, and there's really one name on that list, and it's a really big name, Andrew. It's LeBron James, and let me ask you this. I got a text message from one of our loyal listeners, Cappy. I'm going to call her Cappy. She's great. She she put it to me like this. What are the possible reasons LeBron would want to stay in Cleveland this summer? Like make your your longest list if you possibly can. Okay, he's from huh? like he's from there. Uh, he kind of has the Eastern Conference dominance. Like you once you consider all these other contracts, all the holes they're dealing with currently, how difficult it will be for them to upgrade their roster going into next season. It's a really, really hard argument to make, right? Sure. And I think there's already this developing idea out there that he's got one foot out the door. What I'm saying is this, why wait? Why wait until the summer to do it? If if you're LeBron, you have some great leverage. Number one, you have the threat that you can leave. You can go into Kobe Altman's office and you can talk to Dan Gilbert tomorrow and say, look, guys... I am not going to come back here this uh, next season. So go ahead and trade me. Get something for me. And number two, you've got a no trade clause, so you can pick your destination in terms of which team you want to get traded to. AKA, you can pull a Kyrie Irving and give them a list. But instead of having a terrible list like Kyrie had, which made no sense whatsoever, and and thankfully they didn't trade him to one of the teams on his list, and he found a great spot. Uh, LeBron is in position to to ask for you know, the world, trade me to San Antonio, trade me to Houston, figure out how to make the parts work. I want to go play for a contender. I don't want to waste a year of of my prime. I don't want to waste an MVP caliber season here trying to decide whether George Hill is going to turn things around or if Isaiah (laughs) Thomas can get his body right. Why, Why deal with that? Why not go to Houston? So here's my thought, Andrew, and tell me what you think. If you were in LeBron's shoes, would you consider the idea of making a trade request and saying, look, Dan, Kobe, would you do a solid, you know, would you, would you do right by me? Send me to Houston so we can have the Titanic showdown in the Western Conference Finals. Let me get on a team with the prime MVP player in Harden with one of my best buddies in Chris Paul. Uh, have Houston send back whatever draft picks and other salaries are required to match. And let's get this thing done. If you don't trade me, I'm leaving and you're going to be empty handed again. And you saw how that went last time. And by the way, if you do trade me, You can start a full-on tank. So you could trade Kevin Love if you wanted to, get a draft pick. You could trade Isaiah if you wanted to, uh, get another asset. You could tear the whole thing down before you know it. Cleveland could have four or five first-round picks in this year's uh, draft uh, if they really went for it here hard (laughs) at the trade deadline. What do you think, Andrew? Would you do it if you were LeBron?
0: You know what? I applaud the audacity of this idea. I'm impressed that you raised it, but I don't think that it would work for a bunch of different reasons i I don't think that like you mentioned dan gilbert and kobe altman trying to do right by lebron i don't think dan gilbert is trying to do right by lebron at all at this point i think that that relationship is broken and neither one of them trust each other and i like i've heard from people in cleveland that that gilbert is pretty sure that LeBron's leaving, and obviously the reports surfaced that Gilbert is going to try to sell the team because it was just that type of week for the Cavs where like everyone's losing their mind. But I don't think that they would ever do that purely out of spite for LeBron. And the other thing is, I think LeBron at this point in his career is like playing the narrative game as much as anything, and I just have a hard time believing that he would ever risk the reputational hit that would come with demanding a trade at this point in the season like it would be really cool to force his way to houston and like put lebron into ryan anderson's position and send ryan anderson and his 60 million dollars to cleveland and like suddenly the rockets would absolutely be like toe-to-toe with the warriors um but it's just it's <laughs> too hard to to imagine okay. that actually coming to fruition
1: Good, good thing, because I've got counters on both points here for you, and we're going to keep working through this, okay? okay? Let's start with the Dan Gilbert side. You're 100% right. I didn't lead with the best argument for Dan Gilbert. Asking him to do a solid was was dumb. What if instead it was like... You're going to do a solid for yourself because when I'm gone and all the players that I've gotten paid are stuck on your salary cap and you're miserable and your team's going absolutely nowhere, you'd really wish you had gotten those first round picks so you could actually have a franchise. And not only that, Dan Gilbert, if there's one thing you love as much as winning a title with LeBron, it's trashing LeBron on the way out the door. So <laughs> that's actually if you're not LeBron, a, bad,
0: that's a good point. That's a good point.
1: So if. If you're LeBron, you say, look, I know I'm going to take a hit on this trade public relations wise, but I'm willing to do it because I want to win a title. So you trade me, I'll be the bad guy. And you can say, you know, basically I had a gun to your head and you had to trade me and everyone's going to get it because they've seen how many other stars have been traded in similar situations. They're not going to judge you for being the dummy who traded LeBron they're going to view you as the guy who was smart enough to get out in front of it and put himself in a better position uh, for the future. That would be my pitch if I was LeBron. And in terms of the PR hit, it's a very, very fair point. It's one that people you know, who are close to LeBron regularly raise, the narrative thing, like how much can he dance with the narrative, right? right. I'll tell you one really bad narrative, getting smacked by Golden State in the finals again. To me this is a sweep. Do if you- they make the finals and I would still pick them to go to the finals, okay. they're getting swept by Golden State. That's a bad narrative. That's number 1. Number 2 is KD has already made the narrative so ugly. All LeBron would be doing is is countering the KD move, right? So if KD goes and joins the second place Warriors and they become champions, LeBron joins the second place Rockets and they become champions, uh I don't think that people are going to view LeBron as like, you know, this horrible team up artist in quite the same way that Katie had done it because Katie had gone first. LeBron was only doing what was necessary to secure his fourth ring, and he can just play the card of, hey, I'm chasing Mike. I have to get as many rings as possible by any means necessary. I'm going to pass him on the scoring list soon. Uh, I'm in position to kind of match his fifth MVP potentially this season. But look, what matters to me is rings. I can't get one in Cleveland. I could potentially get one in Houston, so I've got to go. Don't you think that that would play? I mean, if I'm a LeBron fan, that plays with me. You know, if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm burning his jersey again, period. Okay, that's fine. But if I'm a LeBron fan <laughs> or a basketball fan or one of these guys like me who loves basketball history, I'm saying, go for it, LeBron. Let's do this. Let's let's get it on.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I, I do think that most fans would be fine with it, and even Cavs fans, because LeBron came back and won that title, and I think there are elements of LeBron that are already sort of making Cavs fans roll their eyes. And making, uh, like, (laughs) certainly (laughs) me watching this unfold over the last six months or so, I'm starting to roll my eyes. We can get to that in a minute. But the, uh, like, I I think the reception would be a lot more charitable than uh, some of the more paranoid people in his camp might think. Uh, But I do think that that's a factor that he would consider. So let me ask you, though, like, how much research have you done into this? I don't, like, you don't really ever throw anything out. You're not a hot take person, but have you actually looked at whether this trade could actually work?
1: You could make it happen. The problem is that there's a lot of salary that would have to come back to Cleveland and that's where it would get tricky. So they'd have to do multiple deals where they're shedding salary in other places to do something like take back Orion Anderson or Houston would have to kind of you know do some other three-way deals to basically like offload other assets to get the kind of picks that Cleveland would want. This is mostly a thought experiment. I'm not saying that there's any chance that this would happen. Um, it's mostly just, you know, from the idea of like if you're LeBron and you have all of this leverage from taking these one and two year contracts uh the whole way. No one mentions that that leverage also plays for you at the trade deadline. You know what I mean? And if you're Dan Gilbert and you're like, "Oh, you're going to try to like leverage me. I'm just going to keep you." I mean, imagine how ugly it would get in Cleveland if LeBron <laughs> wanted to get traded you know what? and didn't get traded.
0: It's getting pretty <laughs> ugly in Cleveland already. I can I just that, say one thing? That's why I'm raising it. Okay. So, my LeBron take on this week is that I am worried about the next 5 years. I'm not worried about LeBron potentially forcing a trade. That would be awesome. That'd be a good little curveball to the rest of the season but just watching this all play out like I can't imagine him going anywhere this summer where he actually builds a team that can contend with the Warriors and I think like LeBron is has this compulsive thing where when the Warriors are dominating or when anyone else is in the spotlight like he sort of creates this drama around him to sort of remain at the center of the sport, and we've seen it year after year after year, and it's just getting old, and granted, like, there (laughs) there are real structural issues in Cleveland that are also keeping the Cavs in the spotlight. I mean, you give up 150 fucking points on Sunday or Saturday, like, that's an issue, and everyone notices, but I just... To... Hey,
1: hold on. Be fair, though. It was only 148. <laughs> All
0: right. Yeah, 148. Basically, all-star level defense. Uh, I just don't know, man. I Like, part of me worries that LeBron is going to become, like, the Brett Favre of basketball, and there's going to be 24-hour coverage of this dude who is, like, I don't think he's the best player in the sport now, and especially with KD and Steph on the same team, like, he's going to have trouble beating them wherever he goes. And it would just be a real bummer if we don't get to see like elite level LeBron and instead he turns into this sort of nonstop source of tabloid news. Like I, I just... I hear you. I hear you. The direction that we're headed and is I, not great.
1: And good news, Andrew, because my solution, my plan here solves both those problems. Number one, if he goes to Houston, yep, who's the biggest story in the entire league? Like, if he gets himself traded to Houston, the Rockets are now the center of the NBA. How they fit on the court. Can they put it together? Their new big three. Are they better than Golden State? That is the story. It's a basketball story. And secondarily, it's a personality story of, can these guys make it work? And no, who's going to have to I, sacrifice in the future so money-wise? through
0: all that this I'd week, be, I started to convince myself that Houston was the best spot for him this summer because that's the only one where I can realistically see him challenging the Warriors. I mean... It, San Bingo. Antonio could so work why as wait? well, but I like I don't know. I don't wanna I don't want to see him go to LA with Paul George because I feel like that idea so, so, doesn't make a lot of basketball sense.
1: So here's what I'm saying. Why wait? You know? Why wait? I mean if it makes sense in July, wouldn't it make sense in February? And you get one more crack at him, you could see how it goes on the court. And here's uh one final point that I wanna say in favor of my idea before I mention a couple of things that could be complications. Okay. My final point a is this of
0: complications I, I,
1: this idea is nothing I, but I
0: complications, know, <laughs> but I like it.
1: Yeah, but so far you've been on board 100. percent I've been convincing you brilliantly. It's it's fantastic. You know, you love the Warriors world guys, right? I mean, the Light Years Podcast, sure. Sam and Andy. There are there are homies. Have you been seeing their reaction to these trade proposals? You know, the Cleveland stuff. I mean, it's just nonstop chortling, right? Yeah, ha ha. ha <laughs> this is so funny, George Hill. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha ha. Oh boy, DeAndre Jordan. Let me ask you this: How are Sam and Andy and the rest of Warriors Nation reacting when LeBron James is coming back from the All Star break as a member of the Houston Rockets? <laughs> you think they might be a little? You think they might be a little scared, Andrew? Exactly. You think Look, they might be? Uh-
0: it's worth it for that alone. It's worth it for the fear it would strike into the hearts of Warriors fans and Warriors players. Like those people are due for some comeuppance, and it would be great for the league at least for three months. And then I don't know how, how it would work from there. But like, I'm in you. you Like, in the abstract, we need to make this happen. I just think if, if anything that would ruin it, I think it's Gilbert being kind of a bitter asshole toward LeBron.
1: For sure. And you know, the difficulty of putting together like a real A-list package, you know, to kind of help them save face. The other complication I think is real is family stuff. Like, you know when you're lebron you don't just have your like your wife and your kids that you want to be around and he's always talking about how he misses them when he's on the road trips and you know that makes total sense but you know you've got an entourage you've got friends you've got everybody who's comfortable there in cleveland who's not expecting to be uprooted midseason and we, you know in the fantasy basketball stuff that people always love to talk about the personal element often gets lost and i'm admitting up front in my little fantasy world here uh, basically all personal relationships would not be counting here this would be a, <laughs> a pure mercenary like you know fantasy ba- uh you know rotisserie baseball style move so uh, those are the complications however I want the conclusion here to be obvious. This is so much better than any Cavs trade that we've been listening to for the last week, and I just want to make sure that's put in perspective, right?
0: Okay. Yeah. Basically, we're talking about this because we just don't care what the Cavs are going to do at the deadline because there's nothing interesting that they. There's nothing interesting out there. Like they, there's no move that's really going to change any of this. Um, so, in that respect, absolutely makes sense. I'm all in.
1: Okay, that was my theory. Glad we did it. Thanks for letting me get that <laughs> off my chest. It's been right. it's been we, in my head for like the last 12 hours. Let's move on. I, I want to talk about... We should follow up on kid. What
0: did you think of, of the aftermath? Because of, of, like, we, we recorded as it happened, and then news started to trickle out. Jason Kidd relayed a conversation with Giannis that made it sound like Giannis was trying to start a revolution in Milwaukee, a mutiny... <laughs> Uh, to save kid's job. I, so, any any reactions in over the last couple of days?
1: Not a huge reaction. I just thought Giannis played it pretty well. You know, a kid was essentially saying that Giannis was at his bedside, patting his head. You know, so worried about you know the the final moments of kid's tenure, and Giannis was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm gonna let it a private matter, stay private." Hey great. I love it. You, you got over it just like I hope you would, Giannis. Uh, no tears were shed. Uh, he hasn't looked that devastated uh, or sounded that devastated in the aftermath. Uh, and I think it's time to move forward for them. Um, you know, in terms of like where kid lands next, you know, that's... <laughs> Did you that, hear that, the Suns like, rumors, man? That, that, that's some Russian roulette stuff. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's like Byron Scott jason kidd mark jackson like if you're a fan out there you're just kind of hoping it's not your team okay just anybody but us
0: if jason kidd ended up with your guy ryan mcdonough and robert sarver in phoenix it would be like all your favorite people in one place i guess we'd have to send DeRozan to phoenix i don't know who else we could sort of jettison out there uh we could get nerlins out in phoenix for you it'd be kind of incredible the anti-goliver squad
1: What a dream team you're making. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to sell a lot of tickets. No, I think, you know, buyer beware if you're a GM. I mean, let's be real. Like, kid had a lot of influence in Milwaukee. He's going to be expecting that with his next job, right? I and I think so. if you're a GM, especially a GM without a very good track record don't get uh, too sucked up in the name recognition because uh, you could be giving away some of your authority. I guess that would be my you know my what, first advice to his future employers.
0: You know where kid could probably succeed is if he found a solid college program. Like he seems like the type of dude who would actually be pretty good in college. He's just, he was out of his league in the NBA. Although like he did do a decent job developing Giannis and, and developing some of those younger guys. Um, like I, I, I think that he hasn't gotten enough credit, um, amidst some of the hate, which most of which we've been leading all year, but, um, so go to college, Jason Kidd or Phoenix, Phoenix would be delightful. Um, let's move on to all-stars though. How about that? No,
1: I think that's a great point though. Cult of personality definitely works on the college level. And, yeah. and that could work for kid. Uh, and you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets another NBA shot. Personally, I mean, he does have some things he can point to, most notably like Giannis' out of nowhere breakthrough. And I think what we're going to find out here over the next two years, it's going to be a real test. How much credit did kid deserve for that? Or how much was it just Giannis becoming one of the five best players in the world before our eyes? And uh, kid was just along for the ride. And that's going to be an open question to me. You know, with Giannis, I think
0: so much of it is with Giannis is the way he's wired. And that was not kid or anyone else. Like he, he has an extra like ass kicking gene that even some of the younger guys don't have, but Giannis, you like, you started to see it two years ago. You really saw it last year. And then this year he's like, obviously an MVP candidate, but he just like goes after people. And that's the thing that like, I don't think anybody can teach. So I definitely think most of this has been natural, but kid definitely featured him early on and let him play a bunch of different positions that sort of got us closer to where he, he was just kind of a walking triple double uh, earlier than it might have happened with a different coach.
1: I will say this. I was sweating pretty hard when they were down against Phoenix in the first game after kid left. It's like, if you don't win that game,
0: (laughs) what happened? like, I, that's the other thing I didn't realize when we were talking that the bucks were going to play in two and a half hours because something must have happened that afternoon. You don't fire a coach like three hours before a game.
1: Yeah, you just never know when the GM's listening to Open Floor. You know, it's not a schedule thing. You know <laughs> <laughs> I mean? It could have been yeah, he, totally. he just queued us up, just you know, 2 p.m. The for edge. the workout. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: All right, let's keep it moving. But first, Ben, we need to talk about mattresses, and we've got some more great puns here. So let us talk to you about Mattress Firm. Let's keep the basketball rolling, shall we? Our argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store.
1: Andrew, it's a true slam dunk and you'll have a ball. Mattress Firm are the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but don't get it twisted, Andrew. They're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They will have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3&D wing.
0: Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price.
1: That's mattressfirm.com slash podcast podcast. Look, talk about a one-two punch. This is Malone and Stockton, if you will. Score big with a perfect bet. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. mattressfirm.com slash podcast. The
0: sleep trial and the low price guarantee. Malone and Stockton. All right, mattressfirm.com slash podcast. Let's get back into it. All right. All-stars. So we have an email here. Kevin says the fact that Paul George didn't make the all-star team is ridiculous. He is the best player out of him, Clay and Damian Lillard. And I don't think it's particularly close. Clay is second, but he hasn't really had an all-star worthy season, if we're being honest. And PG has been a top three perimeter defender and a a deadly shooter on a pretty on pretty good volume. I think that's the biggest snub, and I never want players to get hurt, but Paul George should be injury replacement number one in both conferences. So what do you think? Honestly, I can't well, believe John Well, he can't be the injury the replacement game. in
1: the... Yeah, he can't be the injury replacement in the Eastern Conference, though. So come on. No. like are, These rules are stupid. We can't just make up new ones on the top, even though the NBA's had a track record of doing that for the last three years here. He should be the number one injury replacement in the Western Conference, though, don't you think?
0: Uh, I mean, I think I, I'm team Lou will all the way, but honestly watching the way it played out, I think like it, it was embarrassing that wall made the all-star game um, and I, hopefully like he will write the ship over the second half of the season. I'm not out on John wall altogether, but he should not have made the all-star team. And so like, I just think if you want to come up with a happy medium, at least keep the last two spots in East in each conference just make those wild cards and make them regardless of conference because the all-star game would have been perfect if Lou Williams and Paul George had got those final two spots in the East, which I think went to wall and some other kind of borderline player. I don't even know who it was.
1: Yeah. So I have a few different thoughts. First of all, Paul George was on my Western conference all-star team over Damian Lillard. I think I agreed in the, in the shock of all shocks, when Russell Westbrook went off about Paul George getting snubbed, I was actually sitting there nodding my head. And, it's, you know, I've, I've criticized Westbrook pretty heavily this season, but I thought he was dead right. I was like, preach, Russ, preach. You got it. Uh, I mean, the all-defense level stuff, 20 points per game score, you know, oscillating his offense to make sure it works. And then they've been a lot better recently, plus the team's success. Uh, you know, all of that to me said, you know, Paul George should have been on uh, over a guy like Damian Lillard, who's missed time with injury. You know... Lillard missed more games uh, due to injury than Paul George, Lou Williams, and Clay Thompson combined. So if you're trying to pick two from those final four, I mean, that should have been the tiebreaker I thought on those guys. Um, not to mention Portland's offense hasn't really been that great. And then Lillard's never really known for his defense. Uh, I didn't really get that pick. To be honest, I think his his screeching campaign worked. You know, I think people felt bad for him because so. he's constantly saying how snubbed he is. And it, that's pretty rough. Um, In terms of how we can fix this system, here's the big problem I have right now, Andrew, and it's not even the televised the draft stuff, which I know a lot of people are frustrated with. We have inconsistencies in how the voting goes down because the fans are just voting with retweets on highlight plays. Basically, anytime their their guy does something great, they can retweet the team account and boom, that's a vote. When the, the players are doing it, you know, who knows what they're doing? They're voting for themselves. They're voting for their buddies. I mean, there's just real no no rhyme or reason to it. And then when the media is doing it, we're stuck into these categories of front court, back court, two and three. And then when the coaches are doing it, now they have to consider the wild cards, front court and back court. This all sounds Way too confusing and way too complicated. And if you had established the system from the start this way, people would have told you you're nuts. The only reason we're at where we are right now is because they added each individual element step by step to get here. <laughs> yeah, that's good uh, and point. that's a that's it's a bad process. They need to simplify it completely. If the fans are just able to do a free for all vote for everybody, no matter what, regardless of conference, regardless of position, just their favorite players, that's how it should be for anyone. So when the players are voting. They should be voting for the starters. They should vote 10 players regardless of conference, regardless of position. When the media is voting for starters, they should vote 10 players regardless of conference, regardless of position. And when the coaches are voting for the reserves, they should vote uh, 14 total players regardless of conference, regardless of position. That will give you a total pool that will have uh, 24 players. Uh it won't be tied at all to conference. It won't be tied at all to position. It will be the twenty-four best guys, hopefully. Uh, and there may be a few guys who who get in on the popularity vote uh thanks to the fans, but it will be the twenty-four top guys, irrespective of anything else. And that's what we need. I mean, that's basically what you're asking for. If you could just, you know, plug in uh, you know, Paul George and Lou Williams. And I think if we use the system that I'm describing Paul George makes it, for sure. There's no question. John Wall's out, for sure. There's no question. And Lou Williams is fighting to to get into a spot. And maybe a guy like Andre Drummond, who probably feels snubbed. I mean, he's probably on that list, too. And, and we just cut out some of these other weak links. What's, other... what's wrong with just doing that, Andrew?
0: Yeah, I mean, the other week link that i i forgot to mention was kevin love he was another guy who like it would be so much more fun to have lou williams in the all-star game than kevin love although we did get to watch lebron and kevin love pretend to make nice throughout the draft process uh which was touching um <laughs> great great part of Cavs week here so uh did you have any re- I, first of all you did make make it simpler there, but you sort of lost me halfway through. Um, but I think that ultimately we're going to get to a saner place in like three years. It's just going to take the NBA a couple cracks at this to make it work. And we probably will go like we'll do away with conference designations eventually. Do you think this is ultimately going to lead to just reseeding the playoffs? Uh,
1: I, We should hold that conversation for later. This isn't necessarily the year to do that because the West is super top heavy, but then both conferences are pretty blah in the middle and the head-to-head record between the West and East is pretty even. And my point is this, if they keep screwing up the all-star process by adding layers to it, the last thing I want them to do is to screw with the playoff format because they haven't shown they can get it right. They can't even televise the all-star draft. They can't even get the best 24 players on the court for the all-star game. Why do we want them messing with history? I mean, that's the all-star game, you know, like yeah. you know, we don't want them screwing up the finals. I mean, that would be, uh, to me, you know, kind of sacrilegious. So, let's try to get it right. You said you got a little bit confused. All I was trying to say was keep all the current voting blocks the same. Everyone who votes can vote the same way they do currently. Just remove all restrictions on who they can vote for. Just let them vote for who they believe is the best, no matter what. And so in that situation, guys like you and me, we could have put Jimmy Butler in as a starter in the West. We could have put, you know, DeMar DeRozan in as one of the top five starters. You know, I didn't, I wasn't able to fit him in on mine. Uh, but you know, I would have been able to. uh, And whoever you didn't fit in on yours, you would have been able to as well. It just makes it simpler. And there's less confusion. And I don't know why they have these positional protections in. And I really don't know why they have the conference protections in if we're doing Team LeBron versus Team Steph, which has nothing to do with conferences at all.
0: Yeah. Um, Speaking of Team LeBron and Team Steph, you were at the Jordan event, with you and Travis Scott tonight, uh, what what was your takeaway from the, from the team selection situation there?
1: Well, your guy Steph is a terrible GM. I mean, he got you know roasted. what, man? No, he's <laughs> taking a lot of shit for that.
0: I think his team is actually pretty awesome. I first of all, I'm really glad that he had you're he crazy. Picked Giannis, I think Giannis, Harden, Steph, and Embiid is much better than people realize. I like. It, Obviously, people have been salivating over LeBron's starters. <clears throat> but then you factor in the Warriors coming off the bench. LeBron's got to deal with, with Russ coming off the bench, hijacking things.
1: I think Team Steph is, is just
0: a better overall
1: team. Uh, well, look, if there's three guys that I stand out for, it's Draymond, Giannis, and Jimmy Butler, right? Mm-hmm. They're all on Steph te- Steph's team. And I still think <laughs> Steph got worked in this draft. I mean, I don't think it's really Honestly, close. I I mean, LeBron- Steph-
0: Honestly, I think Steph's team looks worse because of DeMar DeRozan's inclusion. I think everyone sees DeRozan there and is just like, oh, man, I'm like how did Steph get screwed so badly? Just because he's so clearly a class below every other starter— but take, remove DeRozan and his team is full of like freakish dudes. And I like, I don't know, Boogie doesn't yeah. scare me. I'd rather <laughs> have Embiid.
1: Oh, so you're really excited about the bench unit with Horford and Lowry. That's getting you up well, at night, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: they're, they're in the DeRozan category. That's true. That's true. But I'm saying he still has clay. Like I, I predict if I could bet right now, I would bet on Team Steph winning.
1: It's tricky because the All-Star game is just whoever tries. And we do know Westbrook will try, and he's on LeBron's team too. He's like the 14th—not 14th, not 14, that's a, you know an exaggeration. He's like the seventh best player on, on uh, LeBron's team. Look, I, I just think LeBron did a masterful job. I mean, getting KD and Anthony Davis, I didn't think that was going to be possible to, to line those three up. Now, he did take a few chances. I mean, adding Cousins to his mix was certainly a, a risk factor. Cousins I'm not at surprised three. at all that— <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll see. I, how I'm it not goes.
1: surprised at all that that Curry didn't take Cousins. <laughs> not surprised in the slightest. Uh, but I mean, he's got Porzingis off the bench. His team's pretty solid, and he's got Kyrie. Kyrie's great in an All Star format too. I just, I, I appreciate how hard you're playing the devil's advocate here, but I think you do need to admit LeBron won this.
0: Look, my basketball loyalties lie with Steph and Giannis, and that's all I care about. I'm, I'm happy that they're on the same team. It will be really fun to root against LeBron and KD and Russ. And I'm just telling you, Team Steph is going to shock the world. Did you have any final thoughts from from the proceedings tonight? I can't believe how bad the jerseys yeah, I, are. That's, that's a thought of mine.
1: I did for sure. Well, I'll get to the jerseys in a second, but here's the thing. I was kind of agnostic on the televised draft thing. I wasn't one of these people who was really passionate about it. You know, Rachel Nichols, Howard Beck, Zach Lowe, they were really beating the drum and kudos to them. I mean, they clearly believed in it and some of them are TV people uh, and they get it from that side. You know, what makes good TV? What doesn't? We're podcast nerds, you know, so (laughs) maybe we don't fully get it. But what I will say is this. The Jordan event was very, very hype. I mean, you walk in, it's a smoke room. You've got Spike Lee talking to Kenny Smith about 30 years of Jordans. You've got the launch of uh, this new female activewear thing. All the women are going crazy over these new Jordans that they've never been able to wear before. Uh, You've got all the jerseys hung up. Uh, like rafters almost in brand new jerseys no one has ever seen in person. You've got like 15 different colorways of Westbrook shoes. I mean, this is like for a sneaker guy or for a basketball guy, this is heaven, right? And we're at CBS studios in LA. So it's already feeling like very official. You're getting like, you know, small groups with the, the head of, you know, Jordan brand, Larry Miller, the president of the entire company He's telling you, you know, what their vision is and so forth. So this is like a real deal event, right? It transitions into 4 p.m. where Ernie, Kenny, Shaq, Chuck have a stage all set up, smokes everywhere. They're walking around showing the jerseys. You saw it on TV. You know, I was like standing in the back watching that. I mean, you get goosebumps. This is amazing. This is what basketball lifers dream for, right? Sure. And then the next ten, the next ten minutes is LeBron and Steph saying, "Well, we probably should have televised this, and we're not going to tell tell you who we picked." Followed by. NBA legends, Shaq and Charles being like, yeah, the NBA really screwed this up. Why did we do this? (laughs) That was terrible TV. And if you're the NBA and you're talking for months about how you want to roll this out, that fell so flat. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the bigger moments of the season. Who's going to be on the All-Star teams? This is a big deal. That whole moment just was like a whoopee cushion going out. And I was sitting there feeling it. And like, I wanted to love it so much. I wanted to be wrapped up in this so much. And they just kind of let me down with the execution. I don't think there's any way around it. And I think even the people in the league office who were sort of working these things behind the scenes would have to admit that. There's no way they could call that a win when their two most prominent players are kind of mocking the whole thing, going through the motions, and their two biggest name uh, announcers and commentators are just kind of crushing it, you
0: know? Yeah, I have to say, I maintain that when they do televise the draft, it will be more of a letdown. But watching it, tonight and watching <laughs> steph and lebron kind of sleepwalk through those interviews it was like man like if this was the alternative just don't put a show on tv at all and i'm sure they had already sold it to jordan brand and had to do it but like just release it through woge and windhorse or something like that was pretty bleak uh but yeah i think it could be fun i mean if if the guy if like the captains are into it Steph and LeBron could sell it and make it work but it's it's asking a lot of those guys to like navigate because it is it's weirdly political and you'd have to be kind of careful about it um, and I understand why the players association Mark Stein reported that the players association were pretty against it um, at least this year and like I, that makes sense to me it is kind of just sort of thorny t- territory for some of those guys
1: Yep, so don't do a draft. Exactly. If they're going to be that <laughs> yeah. against it, you had a you had a bad idea. Um here's the thing on the jerseys and I'm not going to like, you know, 100% stand out for that. I just want to give you Jordan's side on it, right? Uh-huh. They went black and white because that's the colors they feel like are sort of Jordan's colors, you know, in general. Like if you look at most of the clothing they're selling it's black and white. They yeah. feel it's the most wearable uh, off the court. So I think from their standpoint they were trading like the crazy cool designs with the ability to actually sell the product to people who are going to wear those jerseys past just the all-star game. And if you think about it, because it doesn't say East or West on the jersey and it just has the team logo and a Jordan logo um, and the player's name and number, that's more of like an all-year-round type jersey. If you're a fan, you can buy that. You don't feel like it's instantly dated. I guess So, so
0: look so i know
1: i'm not not saying people ever buy them i'm just saying that was sort of their thought process on that
0: yeah and that's fair it's just that like anytime i'm walking through nike town and i'll stop and see these uh, like i'll see that the section of jordan stuff that is just that has no real logo and it's just like an 85 dollar pair of shorts and uh and or like a a tank top with nothing on it that is like dry fit and $75. And that's what the jerseys look like. It's just like random off-brand stuff that Jordan has produced. And I don't know, I miss when jerseys were fun. I miss like the, the mid-90s jerseys. And so it's one thing that I, like watching that show, I was just like, are you serious? This is what you guys came up with? I was so excited when Nike took over. And so far, it's been a little bit of a letdown.
1: Well, I will close this conversation with two quick things. I tried to plant some seeds for us, Andrew. I really did. Okay. So in one of the the conversations, I, I said, you know, you guys have had so much success with the retro shoes. There's a long lineage of awesome All Star jerseys. Would you guys ever go the retro route with the All Star jerseys? Maybe look to those for kind of inspiration. You know, bring them back. Like you could imagine, like a 30 year anniversary All Star jersey, where they get one of those great ones from the late 80s, early 90s, the red, white, and blues. You modernize them for the 21st century, and now you have guys like us feeling all nostalgic, but also you know younger customers feeling like it's new and fresh. Um, they said they think about that. Uh, but that wasn't really their direction this year, and they wouldn't commit to doing that going forward. But look, I planted the seeds, Andrew. Don't worry, I'm I'm there. I'm with the the movers and shakers. I'm giving them the feedback. Second of all, I asked a very long-winded question uh, to Larry Miller, the the president of Jordan Brand. And, you know, it essentially boiled down to who's going to be the next signature guy after Westbrook, because Westbrook just got a signature here. He's already MVP in his prime. He's not young. And you and I talk about it constantly. How many of the great NBA players right now are under 25, right? Like, if you're a sneaker company, you really need to be investing a lot of mental capital in like, who can you trust to carry a shoe who's 23, 24 years old right now, right? Sure. And Larry Miller, to his credit, Dodge that question. He wasn't going to give it away. And so I hit him with the follow up and I said, Look, Larry, we just want the Air Giannis one. Like, (laughs) get us that Air Giannis one. And look, I'm doing my work for Giannis Inc., I'm doing my work for the open floor podcast here. Hopefully those seeds get planted too, and Jordan can kind of pluck Giannis away from that Nike umbrella and get him his own shoe with, you know, that premium black white look like they like to go for.
0: I don't know. I don't know if I would trust Jordan. I, I think I would prefer Nike to handle Giannis, but we can dig deeper into that <laughs> at a later date. Um so let's do a oh, couple hey, trade questions one, here.
1: One more thing I forgot on the jerseys. Okay. They also said the black and white jerseys let the shoes pop more and you could see why a sneaker company would adopt that approach. You know, like... that's completely fair. All, all those guys are going to have insane all-star colorway shoes, so if you just give them plain jerseys, it's easier to match or, you know, make it so it doesn't clash. Um, you know, imagine some of these guys with their colorways trying to wear those uh, San Antonio like teal green all-star jerseys from like 96 or whatever year that was, where like there'd just be no way you could have a shoe that would go with it. I think this way it opens up the color palette for everybody who's got a signature shoe to wear whatever color they want, and it does it's not going to look stupid with the black or white jersey.
0: Yeah. Somehow this turned into a fashion podcast, but uh, I I support it. Um, Let's move on. Actually, let's just jump straight to international questions and then podium. Is that cool?
1: Let's do it because we got so many good international questions and follow up to your piece um, about the international rundown. And what I loved about it, Andrew, is you got a lot of slobbering emails. Oh, this is great. You did a great piece. Like, congratulations, Andrew. And I love reading those. But I also love the people who were like, I love the piece and, and then they hit you with these like super complex questions or their own memories or their own guys they wish you had covered. So you could tell that not only had you reached people in terms of like giving them new information.
0: It was awesome. Um, and we, we can only get to like a couple of them uh, because we're running out of time. But we'll start with Stuart, who says, as far as international players that broke through, Tony Kukoc merits a mention. I remember watching Kukoc's Hugo Plastica split team win three straight European Cup finals in the late 80s and early 90s. They demolished opposition by zipping the ball around and looking for the open man, and it seemed as if everyone on the team could shoot. Kukoc was the six-nine ball handler and leader of that team, and you know he went on to be a very productive member of Jordan's Bulls. So I didn't realize... How important Kukoch was to the international player movement, really. Like, he was sort of like an urban legend throughout the, the early 90s and was just kind of like he would show up in international competitions and just shoot the lights out and was incredible. And if anything, like, it's not that he wasn't great, he, he was very good in the NBA, but it, he was a little bit underwhelming compared to some of the hype that he had coming in. Did you like? Do you have any memories of Kukoc?
1: Well, my first memory of Kukoc, I guess chronologically, is when Jordan and Pippen decided to try to shut him down. You know, in the international competitions, <laughs> Honestly, I think, and they just tried to punk him.
0: Yeah, I think Jordan and Pippen might deserve some blame for Kukoc not being more incredible and fun <laughs> in the NBA because I we, we're both reading Jordan books right now, which we'll get to at a in, in a later episode, but like. Jordan was pretty brutal to Ku coach for some of the time.
1: Yeah, and well, remember that was one of the reasons why I asked you that question on the last podcast. In terms of like, how are the relations going? You know, how do you feel like lock rooms are? Because there was no question that Jordan would test anybody, but he made a point to test Ku coach, and I think some of that was uh, because of the hype that Ku coach had generated, like you mentioned. And I think some of it too was. Uh, some of the stereotypes that we've talked about in the past and you know just how tough are you let's let's really check this out one thing i'd say with ku coach though my biggest memory when he first came over was how everybody thought it was unfair because the Bulls were already so good and now they're adding, you know, essentially Europe's best player. I remember a lot of whining and backlash about that. And uh, it was sort of like, how do they get this guy? You know, it wasn't obviously to the level of like the Warriors adding KD, but it was that same strain of like, you know, can't the commissioner step in and like fix (laughs) this? Like this, Jordan doesn't need another weapon. Like, come on, like help us out here. Um, So I remember that the other thing too is I think what you were saying with Jordan and and Pippen, maybe like being responsible for him, not quite being as good as possible. I mean, let's keep in mind, this guy was a sixth man in Chicago, you know, he wasn't playing crazy minutes and he had, you know, pretty good stats, uh, you know, pretty efficient stats as well. You know, later in his career, he was able to put up, you know, slightly bigger numbers. Um, There's no question to me, like he came over in his mid twenties, like if he had just gone to a random team, I don't think that he would have been first team all NBA, but he would have put up much bigger numbers as the focal point of an offense as a guy who started every single night than he was ever able to do in Chicago. Just because I mean, Jordan's a black hole. I mean, he's sucking up so much oxygen there. And Pippen was uh, the the number two black hole. He was trying to take anything else that was left and everybody else just got to stand around and you know, basically shoot wide open jumpers to win championships. That was the formula.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like the one person in particular, who was just rhapsodizing about KuCoach was Alex Wolf a, a former sports illustrator writer who's written uh several books one of which was about international basketball and he's just got a lot of experience in that scene and he he was saying KuCoach was the guy who first really like captured his imagination and watching him hit like 10 threes in a juniors game against America was just like oh my god what is this guy going to be um, and I understand some of Pippin's resentment because now that I'm talking about it and listening to you describe it, I remember that Jerry Krause for a couple years had tied up like a good chunk of the bull salary cap for Coach, And he was like, this is this is money that we're going to use to sign Coach, And then he would go over to Croatia and be like, Tony, when, when are you coming over? And Tony would like, I think had heard about Jordan and was saying like, I'm I'm not really interested in in doing that. I'm not interested in going over there and like they would try to get Jordan to call him and Jordan wouldn't call. So like long story short, there was a lot of money tied up going to no one because for a while Kukoč hadn't really committed to come over and uh and that was like Scotty Pippen got screwed by the Bulls through most of his run in Chicago. So I understand him being pissed off, but um but yeah, shout out to Tony Kukoč. That's that's one where like I don't remember. I don't have vivid memories of him, one way or another, um, because like I, he was always just sort of a secondary figure on that Bulls team. But uh, it is cool. Like people who saw him know that he's kind of the real deal. Um,
1: Yeah. There's no question that he is more than just the guy who hits Jordan on like the elbow pass back cut in like the championship DVD, you know, like just Tony's feeding Jordan for a dunk. Tony's feeding Jordan for a dunk. Like there was a lot more to his game than that. I think one year I'm looking at his basketball reference right now. I mean, basically he averaged like 19, 7 and 3 in the NBA. And I mean, that's, those are good numbers Yeah, when he was really playing big minutes. So, um, Even in the depressed form that we saw, you know, at times during his career in terms of his usage and role and all of that, the dude was absolutely a baller. There's no doubt.
0: Um, All right. So the next one is from Alexander, who says, I was born in Yugoslavia, which later became Serbia and Montenegro and finally Serbia. I grew up watching basketball. My mother used to record NBA games on video recorder when I was a kid so that I could watch them when I got up because we had a six hour time difference. I was too little to watch Divac on the Lakers and Petrovic on the Nets, so my first favorite was the Lakers-Kings matchups in the beginning of the 2000s. The Kings had a great team and were Western Conference contenders. And now, the Serbian part of today's NBA. Last year, you guys spoke a lot about Nikola Jokic, but this year, you barely mentioned them. Do you think he is still a franchise player in Denver? First of all, one of the coolest parts about Jokic is there's so much of Vlade Divac in his game. And like, I just think that it's cool to sort of trace the generational element of Serbian basketball. Um, But I don't really know what to make of him in Denver because that team has had a lot of issues. I think you saw them in person last week. Like, what do you think?
1: Well the first thing that I want to mention about Jokic you know there was this long back and forth between Jokic and Nurkic over playing time in Denver and then after Nurkic went to Portland and when I was asking Nurkic about all of that I was anticipating that being very personal and I was also wondering if there was like some sort of a Balkan rift there yeah. where you know one's Serbian one's Bosnian and Nurkic was like dude by the time I was born most of that stuff was done you know (laughs) like I didn't grow up in a war-torn country and so it's another one of those things where like you know these ignorant American stereotypes that we have of like what the countries might be you know when he's seven or eight years old and he's you know got his own memories at that point his memories are not like dodging grenades in the street it's like okay I've got to go work on my grandfather's bull farm and you know Jokic is growing up like 500 miles away you know it's there is not that level of um of animosity that you, that you might expect culturally. Now, in terms of Denver, they're their softest team in the league. I don't really know any other way to put it. Like right. these guys fold so easily and I don't put that on Jokic. Uh, I think he tends to play pretty hard I'm with the 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 loud group of people who says, look, he needs to be more assertive offensively, as amazing of a passer as you are. You got to go get your own bucket. You just have to do that if you're going to be an elite, like go-to level guy. So I think you know, for Jokic, I would love to see him score more, continue to progress defensively, but their team is just soft. They don't play for each other. They're not on the same page. It's been an issue for years. They really miss Millsap. Obviously, I don't think that they really buy into what their coach is selling. And if you want to beat them in the second and half of a game, you can beat them. They'll roll over.
0: Yeah. I, and it, like, you don't want to pin it on Jokic, but by the same token, I feel like, the superstar if you are the franchise player you're sort of supposed to set the tone and it's hard to judge Jokic is young enough and he's a big man so like you you need a point guard if you're a big man and you need like help from the backcourt and jamal murray has been playing a lot better but um it just seems like i've seen that team on a number of nights just kind of like not show up and it seems like there's something going on behind the scenes maybe Like, I I know last week Mike Malone had to have, like, 30-minute meetings with various players just to, like, make sure everyone's on the same page. So that's always a red flag. Um, And it's probably not on Jokic. And, like, there's not really reason for concern. And it's also hard to judge them without Paul Millsap. But I definitely think everybody was excited to, like, watch them make a leap this year and jokic was like a fringe top 20 player and i i think like if you were to put him in next year's si top 100 or whatever i would probably say he is like in the mid 30s now because of just there's too much that he hasn't really proved
1: uh i'm not sure i would drop him that far just because he is still so young and so you're going to expect like a really good ramp up there but you're what you're saying makes a lot of sense it's it's more like who else is going to fall behind him because of age uh you know I think he's going to continue to be relatively more important here over the next couple of seasons in the overall league um despite the concerns that you know you're raising now one thing I I do want to say in favor of Denver because I did just kind of rip them to shreds it was hilarious to me that right in the middle of this whole like Lillard all star push. I'm going to get snubbed. I don't want to be snubbed. Campaign. They go to Denver, and Jamal Murray drops 38 points. <laughs> I mean, that was just hilarious. <laughs> it's like, hey what a great closing push for the voters. And obviously, it didn't matter. But off the bench that night, um, you know, Moutier had one point, so he and, and Murray combined for 39. It looked real great uh, in the big home win.
0: By the way, Denver is the one team that would be so fun to to. Watch Kawhi on, and I don't know who they would have to trade. Pro- I mean, definitely Murray would have to be in the deal, but if they could keep Jokic and give him Kawhi, that would be pretty incredible. And like, I I don't, I mean, on the last podcast we talked about how hard it is to imagine Kawhi actually moving, but uh, I I think that's my current favorite dream for him.
1: So, even fewer people can watch and appreciate him? Is that what you're hoping for from Hawaii? Dude, I don't you're know. You're like, why who's nobody got the lowest the nuggets. home attendance? I, I have Quick. no idea
0: why they're not more popular. I guess that's just like a Denver thing. I mean, Denver is a city with like yeah. massive amounts of white people, but I, I don't get it.
1: Uh, I'm not totally up on their local TV deal, but I think the Altitude channel is for the, the pro hockey team, Altitude 2 is for like the University of Denver hockey team. Then I think Altitude <laughs> 3 is for skiing. like slalom skiing <laughs> yeah. Alt- altitude four is for Canadian curling. And then the nuggets when there's not any like off season Broncos rumors, the nuggets, I believe air on altitude five, but check your local programming. I'm not totally sure about that. I
0: don't get it. Free, free Jokic and get him Kawhi. Uh, all right. A couple more here. Pete says, if there was a Ryder cup style basketball tournament, how would Europe fare? So that's a great question. I think we'd have, first of all, have to extend it out to the world because I'd want to include Joel Embiid as the center for Team World here. Uh, but I do think, like number one, we've talked a lot about All-Star, probably too much about All-Star on this podcast. That could be a awesome long-term format for All-Star. Um, just split it up, world versus USA. And I think like maybe we're 10 years away from things starting to look a little bit even the problem with the world team is that they need guards and maybe Luka Doncic is that guy Goran Dragic is one of the only ones they really have. But, uh, but like Giannis Porzingis and Embiid are going to be a problem.
1: Uh, I agree, but it's still not close. I mean, not to, you know, wave <laughs> uh, the stars and stripes the here, world's but bubble. yeah, no, I, here's, I think a more interesting question than that, uh, because it's going to be tough to say, look, Do you have 12 of the 24 best players in the world? I mean, that's a a tough ask when, you know, so much of our infrastructure here in America is designed towards getting those top athletes into basketball. And I think especially as football becomes tougher and tougher for parents to swallow, I think that's only going to help the basketball uh, talent pool here going forward. More interesting to me, though, is are we going to get to a, a time in the future where it's sort of like the majority minority thing when they're saying, you know, certain cities are made up of more than 50% minorities, you know, yeah. um, or they are saying, you know, United States population could reach that at some point later in the 21st century. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if we reached a point in the NBA where like, you know, however many jobs there are right now, uh, you know, 15 times thirty four hundred fifty. you know, could you see a scenario where there's like 280 international players and the rest are USA guys? I mean, uh, it's, I don't know. I I could see where like, the stars are still more nba or like america dominated but like some of the benches or some teams just take that spurs approach and just go crazy all out uh foreign players i could see that being not that far down the road either
0: yeah i i I think we're we're getting closer to like one third two thirds I, i i don't know if it's gonna change much more beyond that although like who knows? I I think you're not giving my my world squad enough credit. Like, Giannis is one of the five best players in the league. Porzingis is potentially one of the top 15, like, in five years. And Embiid and is going to be top five if he's healthy. Like, that's a squad, man. Andrew.
1: Andrew, I'm going to have to revoke your passport. And look, you thought <laughs> Steph Curry had a squad, too, this year. Come on, now.
0: I'm right about Team Steph. Jesus. Honestly, Listeners, go look up the roster. Team Steph is not nearly as bad as they sound. Um,
1: but... Well, team Steph is better than the best world team you could put together right now. And <laughs> look, it could change in 10 years. There's no question about it. But right now, come on, man. Okay. All right. Not happening. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. Marco says, if you had to choose your all-time lineup of foreign players, what would it be? Did you choose a, a squad for this?
1: Um, I didn't, but the first name I'm... You know, it's tricky. Are we calling Duncan a foreign player? Ugh.
0: You know exactly what to say to suck the fun out of anything. Uh, yes, sure. I mean, I don't know because I, I, he's from a U.S. Virgin Island, right?
1: Yeah, I think he counts though. I mean, I'm taking Duncan and Olajuwon. Okay. And then, you know, you can have whoever else you want. I'm good. If you just give me those two, I'm fine.
0: All right. So I am taking um, Steve Nash as my point guard, which is, again, kind of dubious, but uh, Canada is a foreign country. And then I'm taking Giannis as my small forward, Dirk as my power forward, and then Hakeem as my center. And I think those four could stack up pretty well with any all-time team. I, I'm i struggling with the fifth spot. I think I would maybe put in Drazen Petrovic, but he, by all accounts, he was definitely kind of like a freewheeling guy, a gunner of sorts, so he's a, he's... Definitely like my type of player, but he could squ- sort of screw up the flow of my team's offense. Um, the other op- the other option no would be Peja. He, he
1: would be great. He would be great in a up-and-down, let's-go-get-buckets type of format with Steve Nash running the show. I think that would actually be a really, really it's nice, nice uh, pairing slide, there. Right?
0: we take down Duncan. Yeah,
1: and I want to steal in for my team, too, Andrew. I mean, that's just too obvious of a pick. I, I should have been thinking. I, I didn't plan on this one. Uh, <laughs> but it was cool that you put together a team com- comprised entirely of players who aren't as good as Tim Duncan. So that was impressive.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Giannis has a shot long-term. Um, all right. Sean says, I'm particularly impressed that you got an interview with Don Nelson. Are there any Nellie isms that didn't make the story? Um, first of all, I was very pumped to talk to Don Nelson. He called me from his deck in Hawaii. And uh, they were, of, as far as Nellie isms that didn't make the story, like he waxed poetic on the way. European big men are coached for like five minutes and it was just like a really long sort of uh, digression that I couldn't fit in the story, but it was awesome to listen to. And then at one point we were talking about Dirk in Dallas and he told a story about like a, a barbecue he had where and Dirk grew up as like a superstar tennis player for the first half of his like childhood and, uh, and was still very good when he got to America. And, and he, the, the Mavs also had an Austra- Australian seven-footer who played tennis himself. And so at this barbecue that the Mavs had, like, Dirk and this Australian seven-footer were going back and forth, just, like, hitting, like, 120-mile-an-hour serves at each other. And the entire neighborhood in Texas came over and started watching them play, and everybody's just like, "What the hell is happening?" These two giant, like, foreign dudes are incredible tennis players, um, and so it sort of like was a showstopper of sorts. And then the last Nellyism would be that he um, he when he was telling the story of Dirk's rookie season, he was like, "Oh yeah, like Dirk lived at my house for the first two months when he was in Dallas, and then I went to Dirk." and asked him about that. And he was like, I don't know what the hell Don Nelson is talking about. I, I had an apartment the entire time. So I didn't really resolve the, uh, the differences there, but I think,
1: Oh, I mean, that's easily explainable. Like there, you could have been another six eleven German guy. You just <laughs> yeah, don't know you, know. you
0: never know. You never know. Nelly was like, yeah, man. I mean, he was 18 years old. We just had to sort of take him in. And Dirk was like, well, I have no idea what Nelly's talking about, but, um, but yeah, he's the he was awesome. I like I was I thanked him profusely, and then he was like, "Look, man, I'm just hanging out here looking at the ocean. This is this is not an issue for me."
1: Uh, well, if anyone's not read Chris Ballard's like visit to Hawaii to just chill with Nelly, that's a classic story yeah, that will build very really well the on right the story now. that that you told. I mean, it sounds like a lot of drinks and a lot of cards and other various shenanigans. But as you were telling that story, Andrew, I keep, I got to uh, I got to admit I was getting distracted because I did not answer the question about my top five international guys very well. So I'm going to give you my team right okay, now. Okay, I appreciate it. It is Drazen, Manu, Giannis, Duncan, Hakeem, Unstoppable. <sighs> Go ahead, you can have any other five you want. We got it.
0: So who's playing point, Manu?
1: Oh well, only silly little Americans like yourself need positional designations. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. I'm just saying, like, I, I would rather have Nash than Manu.
1: Oh, we got two ball handlers who can do it all. I mean, they're going to break you off off the dribble. <laughs> We're pushing the tempo. Uh, it, It's going to be great.
0: All right. Well, uh, the last question was from Reinmond, who says, what about the Americans abroad? Doesn't a person like Jim or Fredette deserve as much respect as Dirk? Migration isn't only going one way. And look, that's a great question. If Sports Illustrated wants to send me to China to document Jim or Fredette scoring seventy points a game in in Chinese basketball, like I'm all in. So if any editors are listening, just send me over to Shanghai. Uh, I'm I'm in for whatever. i one year I actually had a friend who lived in China and I watched J.R. Smith play a CBA game because it was the year during the uh, NBA lockout. And I went to visit for 10 days. And one we went to this like industrial town called Iwu, and it's like the, the world's leading sock producer. And uh, I watched JR play three quarters and look like Michael Jordan in the CBA.
1: Yeah, I've got a couple quick anecdotes. Number one, the stories about Americans going abroad always... Go off the rails one direction or another. (laughs) First of all, the racism, the racism factor is very, very real in a lot of those countries. And it's not funny at all. Like some of the stuff that they have to deal with is just absolutely absurd. And it probably doesn't get covered enough. um, Just, you know, in defense of their human rights. Second, I've heard stories about guys having like 40 and 20 in the Chinese league. You know, you go back to the locker room and the owner's there with 20,000 in cash in a briefcase and says, congratulations, good game. Like, (laughs) that doesn't happen in the United States. As far as I know, I've never seen that happen. Also, you know, playing in front of crowds that are smoking cigarettes, that's something in America that we just don't have to ever think about. That's a real thing. Uh, There's another guy I know who played in Puerto Rico during the lockout and his team bus got shot up (laughs) after the game. Uh, So thankfully, no one was injured, but that was a a real thing. And I actually have a friend from high school who married a professional basketball player and his career took him everywhere, Germany, Iceland, a bunch of different places. And uh, what it made me think of when I was reading your piece, actually, is that how some people are just wired. To be international thinkers, you know, to be able to adapt to their new environments. Yeah. Uh, You know, Dirk's a great example. You, You mentioned how hard it was for him early, but he's just totally thrived and now he's kind of the life of the party. And you see other guys like that too. I put Giannis in that category. I mean, you just go right down the list. Uh, the experiences that their family have had, you know, I've been able to kind of watch it on Facebook and, you know, various social media over the years are crazy. I mean, their their kids have grown up on European basketball over there. They don't, you know, they come back to America every once in a while, but um, they're getting whole slices of culture and society that ne- they never would have had otherwise. And I'm sure they never predicted when he was going up through the uh, American college system. I mean, I'm sure his dream was the NBA and it, it probably was for you know, most of the time he was playing professionally overseas too. So uh yes, it can be tough. Uh And I think Raymond's right to point out that those guys deserve credit for making that transition, but just in reverse, it can be like the best thing that happens to people too. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, you know, once again, this is where we're, we're hoping that basketball brings the whole world together and, you know, we're all holding hands and crying and it's Shangri-La. I mean, that's what we would love.
0: Yeah. And again, next lockout we're taking open floor on the road and we're going all over the world. We're going to Finland to check in with your boy and uh, we'll be, we'll be everywhere, you know. That that's a that's a good goal for us.
1: Do you think if we have really good pod, some Chinese guy will give us a bag with 20,000 <laughs> cash in it? <laughs> Yo, the,
0: the JR Smith's team in Ewu, like the the place around the stadium was very sketchy and I was in a, a cab that like was supposed to take five minutes and the driver took me uh, an hour around the city. It was, it was pretty shady. Um, so yes, I, I'm sure that there could be some under the table cash payments for a particularly good pod. That's a good goal also. <laughs>
1: all right. So bring your A game. All right. Dust <laughs> off your best material. We need this. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. Well, Thursday night pod, we were a little all over the place tonight, but we will be back next week uh, with more. I can't, I can't believe the trade deadline is in 10 days. Um, so we will kick into high gear on that front. And uh Ben, thank you. I think we were pretty exhaustive with the All Star process. Um, I I hope that Kobe Altman was listening to the the trade trade LeBron portion of the podcast, and uh, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, it's a good chat, Andrew. Everyone should check us out on Apple Podcasts, five star reviews. And remember, if you're pro profanity, you're pro Andrew's use of profanity. Go ahead, five star reviews and just write Please Team Shark. That's all we <laughs> need to don't. see from you. And uh, go ahead and email us your questions. mail at gmail.com. mail at com. If you have any further responses on the international stuff, Andrew, I think we could take questions about that for weeks. I mean, I'm having such a good time with those kinds of questions. It's been great. Uh, until next week, Andrew, I will talk to you.
0: All right, man, take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team.
1: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.